Thank you for listening to the Convergence Podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Leonard Hayes. We, we just recently moved to Colorado. I think it was a month ago, a couple days ago. And out of that month that we've been paying rent, we've, I think we've been there maybe a week. And, but it's amazing. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's sunshiny. It's, we've been living in the Midwest where clouds is the norm and, and darkness overshadows you for all winter long. You're about six months in the, the gulag. And it's, it's sunshine every day. It, the, the forecast says abundantly sunny. <laughs> abundantly sunny. And just just last week, we were in um, ministering in a place called Prescott, which is maybe two hours from Phoenix, Arizona. And then after that, we went to Zion National Park. Has anyone ever been to Zion? Holy cow. It is unbelievable. But we got to do this thing where we got to go dance with angels. Has anyone danced with angels? Of course you have. You just don't know it, but... <laughs> There's this place in, in Zion National Park, and it's called Angel's Landing. And, and they say, I, I don't know, it was somewhere around the turn of the century, somebody said, this place is so incredible, only angels could land here, and they called it Angel's Landing. But to get there is, we started early in the morning, and we, we worked our way up. But there comes a time when you're on maybe a meter and a half wide piece of limestone, which is kind of crumbly, and there's, there's like drilled into the crumbly sandstone is these stakes, and they have a chain along them, but if you look that way, it's about 1,250 feet down. If you look that way, it's about 1,250 feet down, and you're holding onto a chain. I mean, it's, <laughs> and it's, Look on our Facebook. We have a little short video if you want to. But it, oh my goodness. But it was, man, it's the, the wonders of this world, the, who our Father is, what he's created. Oh, oh, beloved. We, uh, Angel's Landing is, is like a pipsqueak compared to what we get to do and see as we move forward, and, and this phrase came to, to mind as, I was, as we were in worship, pre-message, gimbling send-off, <laughs> and I just wrote it down. It says, all theology directs us into love, the vehicle, the currency of the kingdom, and leads us, the sons and daughters of Almighty God, to freedom, eternal, forever freedom. All theology, all, all encounters should ultimately take us into freedom. And beloved, this morning where I believe we're headed is, is into this place of freedom. And, and what I want to look at is, is Paul. We all know who Paul is, right? He, he wrote a whole bunch of letters in, in the New Testament. And, and Paul, he, was, he, he called himself the Pharisee of Pharisee. He was like the smartest kid in the class. He was the one that the teacher would point to and say, why can't you be like Saul? He, he's got next week's homework done already. I mean, he, was, he, he just rose amongst these religious zealots, and he became 
the Pharisee of Pharisees. And, and ultimately, he began writing letters to his leadership saying, oh, because I've risen to the top, because I am the greatest. If maybe, if, if you would see it in your will that I could kill and murder every Christian woman, man, and child that exists on the planet, I would love to do that. That Paul. I mean, he's writing, and we're going to look in the book of Romans, and Romans can be scary, but in Romans, he kind of underlines and highlights who he's found God to be. We know that, that Paul gets knocked off his high horse. He's blinded. Who is this persecuting me? You know the story. And, and then he, he goes away for a few days, three years. And, and, and I would say above all things, what happened to him in those three years was he was comforted. Because if you can imagine living with murder in your heart, and, and that being your greatest desires to see people murdered any way possible. I want to destroy all the Christians. That's what's in my heart. Let me, let me add it. Let me use all this wisdom that I've gained. Let me show you who I really am. Let me release the fullness of that on the earth. He, he needed some sozo. <laughs> and I would say the father himself loved him comforted him for years. And then he comes out and he begins to walk the earth. And I, I do want to just read before we get into it, just this is kind of what he started to experience after he came out. <laughs> that sounds funny. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Um. Don't you hate when you can't find what you're looking for? There they are. Verse 24 of, of 2 Corinthians 11. It says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. From the Jews, five times I received 39 lashes. Uh, I mean, I've been hit with like, when I was a kid, we used to sword fight with willow branches. And you know, you can get smacked with one of those, but I was a kid, and kids were hitting me. If you can imagine someone who is trained to inflict pain and know and have the physicality to inflict pain with 39 lashes, five times. Just right there, we could stop and say, oh my gosh, Paul is intense. <laughs> Three times I was beaten. With rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've been left in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things what comes upon me daily, and this is the burden that he carried. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. You see, he was, he was a churchman. He was vernacular. I, I'm not going to go there right now. But man, he loved what Christ died for. 
for us to have a family. He, he loved it, and, and it was his, his burden. And so he's in Corinth, and he's writing to the church in, in Romans. And we, in Rome, and let's just go to the, the beginning of that, Romans 1. And he, he starts by saying, Paul, a bondservant. And, and a bondservant, is, is, he's, he's essentially saying, I'm, I'm a slave to Christ. I'm, I'm bound to Christ. I will not bind myself to another, to anything else, but to Christ and to Christ alone. Called to be an apostle, separately separated to the gospel of God. I mean, we could stop there and just meditate. Which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Christ Jesus, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And then he goes on, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, amongst who you are also called of Christ Jesus. And then he begins this, this statement. He says, to all of you who are in Rome, and he's speaking to us, he's speaking to the church. He's saying, oh, my beloved ones. And he starts by saying, you are beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this, this phrase, grace and peace, grace and peace go together. Grace is, is actually the gift of God. It's the empowerment of God. And the, the outcome of grace is peace. Like we receive peace, but it's actually the outcome of grace. So God, he's saying this God of grace who pours himself into us, this God who loves us, this God, oh, he gives you peace. Peace comes from God. It's, it's a gift of God. It's, it's a reflection of grace being manifest in our lives. Then we'll back up a little bit. And this phrase, called to be saints. I'm losing my word. <laughs> but we're, we're called by God. To be something, and I would say sons and daughters. Second Corinthians six eighteen. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. Says Almighty God. We're called into something. We're we're called with a destiny. If God calls us, <laughs> it's a done deal. You see, he's done it in us through grace, giving us peace, calling us to be saints. But this. This phrase that he, he starts out with, beloved of God. He says, you are loved. You are beloved. Before I go into all this theology, because Romans is packed with theology. He says, before I, I go into all this stuff that I want to go into, I, I want to, from the Father, our, the Lord of our Jesus Christ, from him, I want you to understand grace and peace. And you're called to be saints. You're called to be sons and daughters. But I want you to know one thing and one thing before any of that is that you are loved by God. It, it's not that God loves you. Because I can, I can stand here and we know the Bible says God is love. And, and you go, okay, that's great. But does he love me? And what Paul is saying is that you are being loved by God right now. 
It's his grace. You're called, you're predestined. You're, you've, you've been brought into something. You're in a story that's so much bigger than you, than you could ever possibly see. But he's saying, oh, if you would just stop for a moment and receive this love, because from there, everything else that I'm gonna say flows. We, we go to Daniel, remember Daniel. He was a young boy. He got pulled out of, out of home by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians grab him and some other kids, four boys. And, and these are like boys, 13, 14 years old. And, and they say, you can have everything. Everything our kingdom has is yours. And, and imagine a young boy from our day today being plucked and dropped into maybe Dubai. And, and they say, anything you want. The great, you have the penthouse for sure. The best food that you want, tell us what you want. Lobster, two lobsters, what do you want? Steak, I mean, it doesn't matter. Anything you want. Xbox, we have the next generation. Have at it. Like anything, technology, anything. The dark web, we live there. You can go play in there. (laughs) Because it was the magicians and the astrologers that were kind of leading the show there. And and Daniel and his friends said, you know what? We're going to eat vegetables. We don't want steak. We don't want lobster. We don't want Xbox. We just want vegetables. <laughs> and and the, the guy in charge was like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm going to get in trouble if you don't, like, stay healthy. You're, you're part of the plan. We need you. We want you. You're, you're some of the best. You're good-looking kids. Come on. We, we got to keep you that way. And, and so, and there's this phrase throughout Daniel, and it's, God, God did, God again, God, and it was God who was leading their lives. And I would say, Daniel came from somewhere. Daniel didn't just one day, 13-year-old boy dropped into Dubai with Xbox and steak and lobster, say, nah, I'm going to do vegetables today. (laughs) He came from a family. He came from a community that had values that had he had an understanding of who he was because of whom he came from beloved it's not an accident that we're in a room together but we're not just in a room together we're in a room together because we corporately have destiny purpose for our schools for our neighborhoods for our families for our businesses we're we're to Affect, transform. And so these boys, while eating, it says while eating vegetables, they got fatter than the others. I don't know how that works, but it was God was part of it. And then it said they tested them and they were 10 times smarter than the magicians and the astrologers of the day. 10 times. I mean, it was amazing. And so, so goes the life of Dave, Daniel. And so he lives to be an old man. Now we're in Daniel 10. He might be something like 90. And he's reading Jeremiah and he's starting to understand why we're in captivity. And he's, he's fasting for 21 days and, and there's, he's got some friends and there's this river and they're hanging out. And, and suddenly I would say Jesus appears to them and they're trembling and his friends, they leave him. <laughs> Thanks guys. <laughs> and he's knocked to his face. And, and we know that Michael's involved and probably Gabriel. And it says that they fought for 21 days. As soon as David began to pray, they said, 
Because of your words, we came. Because of your words, as you opened your mouth, we began to come and, and God sent us from his throne. He had a message for you, but man, it took us 21 days because we were fighting principalities over Persia. We were at war. And if you can imagine, these are the big angels, the ones that have access to the throne, the ones that are powerful, the ones that, a, a baby angel, it says in Isaiah, and I, it doesn't say he was a baby, but <laughs> a common angel because it wasn't Michael, it wasn't Gabriel. A common angel on, on the field of battle killed something like 80,000 men in an afternoon's work. I mean, an angel, that's not a big deal. So these angels are fighting for 21 days against powers, principalities. And they get to David, Daniel. I'm, I'm, they both start with a D. <laughs> and I just... Daniel's been fasting. He's probably 90 years old. He's frail. He's, he's knocked to his face. And this angel who's been fighting for 21 days to get to him to release the message from God. God, release me from his throne. He wants me to tell you something. There's something so important burning in God's heart for you to understand. And he gets in front of David, Daniel. <laughs> and he takes him by the hand and he looks him in the eye. And he says, greatly beloved. Greatly beloved, before I tell you the message, before I go on and, and, and you're seeing some things and you're understanding things, but before I get there, before this all begins, I want you to know above all things that you are loved. God sent us. We've been fighting for 21 days. The most important thing on God's heart is that you understand that you are loved. Come on. first time I ever heard the Lord's voice, I was probably about 21 years old. I got saved when I was 23, to put this in perspective. And, and I was, it was a Saturday morning, early in the morning, and, and I was the only one on the street. And it was in Wisconsin, we have these things called time machines, which are an ATM, but in Wisconsin we call them time machines. I don't know why, but... And so I'm, I'm putting my ATM card in to withdraw money. And as I put my card in, I hear this, no. And the streets literally echo. And I, I'd never heard the Lord's voice before. And I, I look around, I'm like, what in the heck was that? And I'm like, all right, maybe I'm tired. And I probably was. And I, I took money out. And, and the money I was taking out was to pay for an abortion for my pregnant girlfriend. Long story short, I just remember going into the clinic and and there was Christians there. And they had signs, but they also had mouths. And, and probably some of the most vile language I've ever heard in my life came from those people. I, I protected her. We got in. And I, I've always been a spiritual person. And I felt death. And, and I hated being there. And I couldn't wait to get out. And when we finally got out, it wasn't... 
she wasn't doing well. And, and in the end, we ended, she ended up in the hospital, and, and they had to save her life. She was bleeding out. 1995, this is, again, some years after that. And I'm, I'm at Wheaton College, and our teachers had asked us, I'm in graduate school, and they said, would you write a paper, and you're going to read it to not only your classmates, but to the faculty, and, and kind of a defining moment in your life. Let us know who you are. And, I, and instantly, I, I have cool stories, like climbing mountains and this, that. And I'm thinking of all these cool stories to impress my classmates and you know, people. And, and the Lord says, no, I, I, I want you to talk about that day that I spoke to you. Later, when I became a Christian, he said, I've spoken to you a couple times because I was kind of saying, well, why haven't you ever talked to me? And I said, no, I've, I've been talking. <laughs> you just weren't listening. And, and so what, what the Lord said was to write about that. And I'm like, I'm not talking about that. I mean, this is, I'm in the Billy Graham Center. <laughs> I'm amongst who my, these were all valedictorians in their high schools, valedictorians in their colleges. I felt kind of like lesser than, like I'd squeaked in, I, I tested well, so I, and my story's a different one, but I got in somehow, but I really believe that I was a sinner and none of them were. I honestly believe that. And I remember I just, when God dropped that in my heart to speak on, or to write, I just started weeping. And I walked home, it was about a mile and a half, just bawling my face off. And I, I went down into my basement, I had a little study, and I typed out the whole thing. And then, I got caught up into a vision. And in that vision, I, I met the Father for the first time. You see, he was, he was in heaven. And, and again, I don't fully understand what I saw, but I know what I saw, and I know, and, and I, I didn't, wouldn't say like I'm looking at Greg, I could describe, but I knew it was him. I, and at his feet were hundreds of children. And he, he called one over, and I said, I want you to meet somebody. I want you to meet Caleb. This is your son. He's, and he said, I'm, I'm taking care of him. I've got them. I've got them. And, and there was such joy. It was like a, just this huge field, and it would be like a, a Heidi field with poppies and beautiful flowers and greener green than you've ever seen. And, and these kids were so happy. To finish the story for you, I, I then came the day when I had to read this, and I really believed it was my last day at Wheaton College. I thought they would kick me out. I would be known for a sinner that I was, and, and, and I remember reading this, and I was just trembling, and I said, I'll go first. The faculty from, from the whole doctoral program is there, all the other students, everybody were in an auditorium like this, and I'm just up there trembling, and I start to read, and, and I I told Leslie as I went that day, I said, this is the last day we're in college. I don't know what we're going to do. We're going to figure out something else. This isn't going to work. They're for sure going to boot me out. And as I'm trembling, I, I started to hear kind of whimpers, and the whimpers turned into wails. And it was that day that I realized I wasn't the only sinner in 
Wheaton College. And, and the Lord used that to just heal some amazing hearts. Beloved, he loves us so much that even before, when we walked in darkness, he was loving us. He first loved us so that we could turn, so that we, it's his kindness, it's his goodness that causes us to turn and see him for who he is. Oh, beloved, I would never, ever, ever have thought that that day when he spoke, no, would lead to an encounter of love, an encounter of his goodness, that his grace, his mercy, that's so beyond anything I would even dream to believe for. When, when we think of his goodness, we're, we're always, always falling short. Song of Solomon 7.10 says, Yo soy de mi amado y él me busca compasión. I'm my beloved's and he seeks after me. I love the way this translation in Spanish, it, he seeks after me with passion. And passion implies all the strength, all the resources of heaven. He's coming after you with, with his passion. I am his, but he comes after me with his strength, with his passion, with all the resources of heaven. He's coming for you. And it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter which pig pens you've been dwelling in. Because as you turn, because he's good, because he's kind, oh, he runs. He's running, running, running to his kids. Romans 5. So first of all, you're loved. Tell somebody next to you, you're loved. Mean it, come on. There we go. I mean, we could stop right there. It's, it's not that God is love, but he is loving you. Right now, he's loving you on your best day. He's loving you on your worst day. When you were standing at a time machine, taking out money to do the most horrible thing, he was loving me. He was reaching out of his eternity and saying, I love you, son. Don't do this. This isn't in alignment with who I am. And you are supposed to walk in alignment with who I am. This is who I've called you to be. And I didn't know it. At that time, I was dreaming of preaching the gospel. I was also dealing drugs and a bartender. <laughs> and I told some of my maniac friends that I was, and I don't know where I'd seen it, but I'd seen preaching and I knew in my dreams I would preach and you could just see that the word of God was being sown into people's hearts and they were being transformed. And I, I didn't have that language for it. But that's what was happening. I tried to explain to my friends, I'm having these dreams. And they say, bro, stop taking drugs. <laughs> They're not good for you. <laughs> Even then, he was wooing me, drawing me. Yo soy de mi amado. I am of my beloveds. I am his offspring. It doesn't matter if I can reap the benefits of his love or not. I am his I am my beloved's, and he is seeking after me with all the resources of heaven. Romans 5. It starts with the beginning. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this word peace, 
Again, we've just talked about peace being an outcome, being a reflection, being a, a grace that's given. But, but this word peace is actually in the Greek. It's, it's I wrote it in here, Irene. And it, it literally means dovetail. We're dovetailed to God. You know what a dovetail, it's woodworking, where joinery, where things can't just come apart. If you look in the side of your drawers, there might be kind of little dovetails. What it means is we're dovetailed to God in Christ. It goes on to say, in Christ, I'm dovetailed to God. Dovetails can't be ripped apart because they're kind of like puzzle pieces. You can't just, boom. we're in, in Christ, we're dovetailed to God is how we start this. Paul was a genius when he when he came to when it came to words. Verse two, it says, "Through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand." And so, what it's saying is, we have access to His presence, and and the the reference is more like we're being ushered in before royalty. We have access to the inner court. We have access to where he dwells. We have access to where he sits between the cherubim. (laughs) But it's better than that. Remember the tomb. The angel stood at either head and, and the presence would have been in the midst of that. But Jesus wasn't there anymore. Mary saw it. The the boys didn't see it the same way Mary did. But Mary Magdalene, this formerly demonized woman, she's looking in. She sees the cherubim. There's no presence. Where's the presence? He lives within you, brother. He dwells within us. We have access into his presence to receive our inheritance, and I would say in son. We're placed in son. We're placed in this place where we're, and it's not a, it's not a masculine or feminine word. It's, it's a reality word that we're placed as sons, as daughters, to receive the fullness of our inheritance. We have access to our inheritance. Greg earlier said we're co-heirs with Christ. It also says that Christ inherits all things. If Christ inherits all things and we're co-heirs, what do we inherit? All things. See? This is good news, right? But it just keeps... Let me just be honest. I, I'm discovering things every day, and, and it's like my mind keeps getting blown at his goodness, at his capacity to love me, at his willingness and drive and passionate pursuit of my heart. I'm just this dorky little kid, and he decided to take me to the nations and speak to kings. What? But if it's true for me, it's true for you. We have access to the throne room where the king dwells. And in that room, we get our inheritance. We have access. He goes on to uh, second part of that. Verse 2. We stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, it seems like you've, you've looked at this, but hope, 
hope isn't what we think it is. It's like, I hope I find a winning lottery ticket. I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope my wife kisses me. <laughs> like, that, that's hope. <laughs> no, actually, one is a certainty. <laughs> She'll kiss me. <laughs> so it was a bad illustration. I'm sorry. Men in black, right. (laughs) It's going to be okay. Hope is based on him in whom we hope. It's not a desire or a wish, but it's actually a certainty. Hope, biblical hope is a certainty. It's a done deal. We're not wishing for something to happen. We're not in our vernacular, hoping, but it's actually, a better word would be certainty, and we rejoice in the certainty of the glory of God. It's certain. If he said it, it's going to pass. If he's declared it, it's done. It's a declaration of the divine. It's not a, a, an earthly hope and desire, but it's actually God spoke it, so it's going to happen. And not only that, verse 3 But we also know glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint. Why does it not disappoint? We just said why. Because it's it's based on him, not on us. It, It can't disappoint because it's based on him. It's not based on my ability. It's not based on my means to manage something, but it's actually based on his goodness, on his kindness, on his character. It's based on who he is. And then it goes on, it says, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And I love the Passion Translation. It says it's cascading. The love of God is cascading into our hearts. Has anyone ever tried to be patient? Like acted patient? Does anyone have small children, for example? Or you have a lot of traffic here. Has, has anyone ever kind of screeched and pulled out in front of you and slammed on their brakes and you almost hit them and you stop and you're kind of nervous and scared? They roll down their window. They make some hand gestures towards you. You can kind of read their lips and go, ooh, and, and, and what comes out of your heart, your mouth? <laughs> oh, Father. Those silly kids. <laughs> Thank you, I didn't get hurt. Glory to God. I mean, that, that's what flows out of my heart. <laughs> you can ask my wife when she leaves. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So... Is it possible to be patient? Or, or do we just have to put on an act? Because I can tell you that if you act patient, there's coming a day when that act will be shown for what it is and you will no longer be patient or we say we lose our patience. Where'd it go? I was acting patient, now I've lost it. <laughs> Literally. So what happens? How, how do we become patient? How do we walk out patience? You see, I get to go to New Orleans, and in New Orleans, there was this big 
Katrina, remember, 12-ish years ago, where walls of water came through neighborhoods and destroyed lives and destroyed people and destroyed property. And, and still to this day, there's neighborhoods that haven't ever been rebuilt. And, and it was a devastating thing. But what happened, there were some really cool things that happened. Really good people rose up. And when pressure came, what came out of them was the best. Oh, beloved, I have a vision for my life, and that is to be an old man. And when you look at my eyes, you go, oh, like it shocks you because there's so much love coming out. But if you squeeze me, it doesn't matter what you do to me. You cut me in half. You hang me upside down on a cross. No matter what you do to me, out of me comes love. That's where I want to live. I, am, I'm, not, I'm not there yet, but I'm, that's my goal. That's what I see. Like if he keeps doing the work in me, pouring himself into me, I will be transformed into his likeness. That's his passion. That's his desire. That's the hope in which I live for. It's a certainty. And so in New Orleans, what happened was people started to form gangs. They started to kill each other. They started to steal, rob, and destroy for a cup of water. It was horrible. But we're in the United States of America. And in the United States of America, we're awesome. If, if not, we'll just stop there. We're awesome. <laughs> but when crisis hits, we're really awesome. And we have to know that if crisis is hitting us, that we, the nation, is coming. The National Guard, the, the Marines, the, the Navy, the, everything we have is coming. The first responders are coming to help. You don't have to kill your neighbor for water because for sure, within a day, two, maybe three, help is on its way. But when pressure comes, what comes out is who you are. And so pressure came, and what was in them came out. And so uh, the Superdome was locked, 15,000 people in it. I met a woman who was in that, that night. What happened that night was gang of men, or gangs, went around and took advantage of women. And they were screaming out, no, no. And everyone, because it was pitch black, they were locked in there. They didn't want people coming and going. And these, what was in their hearts came out. And they just went and they, they feasted. They, they destroyed lives. And there wasn't one, one. Oh, I long for the worship leader that could just stand up and just start to worship and say, we're not going to have this today. God is bigger than this. And start to worship. And the place turns into worship instead of a feasting for, for the carnality that dwells within us. You see what happened there is they were squished. They were pressed. And what came out is who they really were. So how do we avoid that? It says right here that God pours himself. He cascades his love into our hearts. How do we become patient? 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. God is love. So if we need more patience, what do we need? We need more God. And if, if this ever happens to you where somebody screeches and window, gestures, word reading, lip reading, and something other than love comes out of your mouth, <laughs> you just, what you do is you start thanking God. You go, thank you, Father. 
that you've shown me a deficit in my heart. That's not you. That's not what he would do. So how do you, how do you shift that? How do you fix that? You go, well, this is an opportunity. Father, this part of my heart, I've got anger. I've got murder. I've got frustration. I've got my own rights. I get to drive how I want. But that's not the kingdom. Oh, I want the kingdom in there. Thank you, Father, that you've shown me this. Help. I'm your son. This, this passion in which you seek me with passionately come from my heart. And in that place that rose up in anger, pour your love. You see, how he transforms us, how he shifts us is by pouring himself, the substance of himself into us so we become like him. Jesus, on his way to the cross, John 17, 26, he said, Father, what I want more than anything is that, that love, that same stuff you've been loving me with since before the foundations of the earth. The same substance, the same stuff that you've been pouring out to me, I want them to receive the same stuff. Oh, beloved, if we don't have enough love, if we're, I don't want to act patient. And I don't want to act like a Christian. I want to be one. When you squeeze me, I want love to come out. If you cut me in half, love spills out. If you hang me upside down on a cross, love comes out. If you gather around me and stone me, I'll stand up and say, Father, they don't know what they're doing. How is it that Stephen, in the midst of being stoned, could stand up? When you squeezed him, what came out? Love. So it's possible. <laughs> what if? What if, beloved, we don't have to act like a Christian? What if somebody does something, somebody says something, something comes against us? And we don't have to do the internal, okay, I'm a Christian, I have to be a good witness, and, and, I have to be good, and you do all that stuff, and you try to manage what comes out of your mouth. What if, what if something happens, and what comes out of you flows from your heart, the place where God's done business, he's poured the currency of the kingdom himself into your heart, and what comes out is love, even though you didn't think love. You thought murder, but your heart said, no, 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 no I got this. And love came out. That's where we get to live. Oh, beloved, that's, that's our portion as sons and daughters of Almighty God. That's the way in which we get to walk all day, every day. Are we there yet? No. Or they couldn't, we couldn't get a big enough place for us. But the day's coming and it's near at hand. The harvest. Oh, beloved. Where we, as sons and daughters, love just comes out. We become these sprinklers of love. And whatever happens to us, wherever we go, love begins to manifest. And people are so attracted to reality, to love. They can slap you in the face, and love comes out. They go, wait a minute. Whoosh-ya! <laughs> and more love comes out, and they go, no! Pah! Love! <laughs> That's where we get to live. You can ask my wife. I'm not like that all the time. <laughs> but I really, really have a vision for it. And every time I get 
off, I say, Father, thank you. Thank you that you've shown me this place in my heart where I'm still hurting. I'm still broken. I still need comfort. I don't, yes, please, pour your love into that place in my heart. The same nature, expression, and substance of love is, is where we get to live. So, so first of all, we're loved, <laughs> and he lives within us. He pours himself into us. Look at your neighbor and say, God lives in you. <laughs> like you mean it. Maybe you don't know him, though. <laughs> so let's go to Romans 8. And we're headed for home. We're almost there. I had some other things I was going to say. I'm just debating with myself. Do I do that? And I'm, I've decided, no, I'm not going to. So, <laughs> so let's, let's just get right to the, right to the meat. Verse 37, and this is Paul writing. Again, he's writing to this church. He's writing to people like you and me. He says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. For I am persuaded. I am being persuaded. Paul, as he writes this, he, he writes it because he has a vision for it. He writes it because he's experienced it in part. He writes it because he knows that it's truer than true. But he's also writing, and he's being honest with us, saying, I am being persuaded. I haven't, I, I, I haven't totally got this yet. But I know that it's true, and I'm going to put it down because I want the church to know this. I am being persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is for you, who can be against you? Let me just read that again. This For I am persuaded, I am being persuaded. I know that this is truer than true. So let me put it out before you. I am being persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. What Paul's saying here is it doesn't matter what's coming for you. It doesn't matter what darkness is coming for you. It doesn't matter what power is trying to overpower you? That nothing, nothing, all of it is just a smokescreen is what he's saying. It's, it's not reality. Reality is that nothing gets between you and God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. L Leslie and I, we were uh, with our family, we were missionaries in Mexico. And we, we were able to, you know, live in Mexico for about nine years and love Mexico, love the culture, love the people. We were kind of doing our... What is that? Oh. 
Was this like the big hook thing? <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> but good timing. Like, am I hearing things? So we would go into Mexico, and, and we were kind of getting our visas sorted. And, and sometimes we'd go in, and they'd give our kids a 90-day visa, and they give us 180, and sometimes reverse. And it, it was just kind of, I think, to make our life harder. I'm not sure, but it seemed like it sometimes. And so at this particular time, our kids were given 180 days. We were only 90. And so after a few months, we had to run to the border, which was 16 hours, turn around and come back. And so we were doing that this one time. And, and we'd gone to the border 16 hours, turn and burn and head and back. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's through Mexico. We're obviously not Mexican. And, and therefore, we were subject to harassment a lot. And at one point, I, I met this, this Comandante X. He's just some guy. He's like louder. <laughs> and, he, and I said, how, how do I get out of this? How do I like not be harassed all the time. And he said, just mention my name and everything will be fine. I'm like, oh, cool. Like that's the get out of jail card free card. And he's like, yeah, 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 just mention my name. You know me, it's good. And so we're coming back. We get a couple hours into Mexico and, and we get pulled over by a couple of federales. And my normal dance with them is to not give them money. I just, and at this particular time, we didn't have anything to give them. We had enough to get gas home and that was it. And so we dance with them for a while and you know, all the things you talk through and blah, blah, blah. We spent about 45 minutes dancing and I thought, it's time to pull the card. Like, I, I want to get down the road. I want to get home. I want to get to my kids. And so I mentioned, oh, do you know Comandante X? And X in, in Spanish means X. I'm, so just this random, but it was a real guy. And so I give his name and they both turn red. They walk away and they confer and they come back and they say, you're trafficking influence. You're going to federal prison right now. Follow us. And so there's two squads, one before, one behind. And they start leading us to federal prison. But federal prison turned out to be the desert. Uh, on the way, I just acquired a flip phone. You remember those, what were they? Those big yellow ones, like starts with an M, ma, ma, ma. Motorola, there we go. <laughs> big yellow thing, and I called actually the House of Prayer in Kansas City, a friend of mine. And I said, Jeff, I don't know what's happening, but it's not good. Would you pray for me? And he said, I'm actually leading the set right now. We'll pray for you. I said, good, we need it. And I hung up. So they pull over in the middle of the desert. And I, I've dealt with enough people that work for the government that I knew that one, they make snuff films and two, they, they regularly murder people. And so that was kind of where we were headed at the time. They, they pulled me out of the car. One guy was filming and the other guy had a pistol and he was shoving me around. Leslie's in the driver's seat. I locked her in, but knowing they're going to get in, if they get rid of me, surely they'll get to her. I just let them do what they wanted with me. And so he shoved me around and eventually brought me around to Leslie's door and he's smacking my head up against the window and he's saying, you're a bad husband, you're making your wife cry. What are we going to do about this? And the other guy's with the camera going, yeah, ka, 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 ka. And, and the guy with the gun, he's shoving me around. And, and they pull me around to the back of the car and they say, get down right here. 
And I'm like, this is not how the story ends. And I picture my wife in the car. I mean, it's an empty car, suburban. And I'm like, what? This just, this isn't how the story ends. This isn't going to end this way. And so the guy kind of looks down at me. And then all of a sudden, he, he, he kind of went, his arms went to his side. His friend's arms went to his side. And they both kind of looked off into the distance. And they said, you should go now. And I thought, what? <laughs> and they said it again, you should go now. And so now I'm like getting up and I'm kind of going back to the car. But I thought, They're, they just want me to be running away so they can shoot me in the back and say I was trying to run away. And so I'm like backing up against the car and they just keep looking straight ahead going, you should go now. Eventually I get in the car. Leslie unlocks the doors. I get in. <laughs> and, and as I drove away, they're just standing there and I, I don't know if they continue to say, you should go now, but they just stood there. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We've just briefly looked at the scriptures this morning. But I believe there's some of you today that there's something trying to overpower you. And I don't know if it's, it, it's, it's your hope that's trying to be stolen, your peace, your comfort, your calling, there's grace this morning to step into this God who, who loves you, who's in you, but he's also for you. You soy de mi amado. I am my beloved's, and I seek after my kids. I protect my kids. I, I, I surround my kids with love in accordance to who I am. Beloved, this morning, he wants us to step into our callings. But there's things that have been coming that have been trying to overpower you. And I don't know, it doesn't matter what it is, actually. You see, he's bigger than all of it. it let me just read this one more time. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. He loves you. He's loving you right now. And it's that love as it goes on the into the inside. Whatever it is that's trying to overpower you, whatever it is that's coming for you, oh, beloved, it doesn't have a chance when it comes up against the love of God. That's just who he is. Oh, beloved, this morning, what I want is for us to step into our callings. You see, we're called to be the saints. We're called to be transformers of our families, of our, our, our communities, of our regions, of our states, of our nations. Oh, our businesses, our churches. Father, we're not just coincidence of biology we're sons and daughters of almighty God whatever it is whatever it is that's trying to overpower you and 
care what it is. Whatever's trying to rob you of your calling, whatever's trying to rob you of your destiny, this morning there's grace to just step into that. And it's not grace leads to peace. But this morning we're going to stand on hope. Certainty of who he is as our father. The certainty of his love. The certainty of his kindness. John 8. I'll just read this one last verse. I know I said I was ending. John 8, 35. And it says, And a slave does not abide in the house forever. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And then it goes on the next verse and it says, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Oh, beloved, it's time for us to just step into the fullness of the freedom that Father has made provision through His Son, redeeming us to Himself. The hope, the certainty of His love allows us to step into this grace, into this peace, into this place where nothing, nothing can come between us and Him. So if that's you, that's probably many of us, I just want to invite you forward. And and for sure, Leslie and I want to pray for you, but I, I want to pray corporately. And let's just go back to Daniel in a minute, for a minute. When Daniel came and the angel empowered him, it said, and he stood up and he began to tell him who he was, but he also told him to stand up. He said, stand up in who you are. This morning, I want us to, I don't want us to lay on the floor. And, and there may be a few of you that you just are impel, compelled to do that. But I want us to stand up in who we are. It's time for the church. He, he, the angel said to Daniel, stand up. Stand up in who you are. You are a son. You are loved. Stand up in that reality, in that identity. And let me tell you who you are. That's the transaction that's going to happen this morning. He who the Son sets free. You see, a son dwells in the house of his father forever and ever and ever. Amen. (laughs) We have such a good, good father. He's so good. So, Father, here we are. Your family. It's a room full of sons and daughters. And just as you feel led to come and stand in who you are, in who he says you are, loved, filled with him, nothing can separate you. Whatever power's coming to overpower you, oh, he's so much bigger, beloved. And as we sang this morning, we we say yes and amen to your promises, Father. We say yes to who you are. We say yes to this, this passion in which you pursue us. And today, Papa, we don't want we don't want a little, we don't want a trickle. We want all that you would give a son, all that you would give a daughter today. Right now, Father. And there's some of us in this room that 
that things have been coming to overpower you. And today, God says, come step into my grace, who I am, into my goodness. Oh, nothing, nothing gets between me and my kids. not seen anything yet. Beloved, you're called to be a son, to be a daughter appropriate to who he is. That's who he's setting you in place as. A son, a daughter appropriate to him. Access to him. Loved by him. Filled with him. Oh, we've only just begun. We've only just begun. So Father, right now, just begin to release love in this room in a way only you can. And you're just speaking to your sons, to your daughters, and you're saying, stand up. Stand up in this. Oh, you've only just begun. You have no idea. You have no idea. Oh, (laughs) appropriate to who I am? Are you ready? Oh, he's so good. He's so good. And even just even before anyone comes and prays for you, just say right now, Father, I thank you that you're loving me right now. Thank you that you're loving me right now. Nothing, nothing gets between that and me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe. And thank you for listening.